Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported. That means we truly depend on you in order to bring this resource to you. If you don't already support us financially, you could do so. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. You'll see our three friendly yellow buttons there. One says donate. The other says join our crew. The other says become a patron. Click on one of them and fill that out. If you'd like to support us the traditional way, you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Thursday, May 16th, 2019. There's light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> Trying to make it through the worst Easter sermon of the year contest. Oh, man. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ. And this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you to slow down. Stop, open up your Bible, and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Sadly, there is no shortage of crazy things being said out there. We take the time to open up God's Word to compare and contrast what the most popular pastors Preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, <gasps> self-appointed apostles and apostolates, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books apparently we need to be buying, and whose small group curricula we should be studying instead of the Word of God. Yeah, weird how that works. Over and again, we demonstrate that the steady diet of doctrine, that's teaching that's put forward, for consumption by the average Bible-believing evangelical isn't biblical. Far from it. There's a whole lot of people who are teaching all kinds of nonsense, and apparently this is the way uh, so-called Bible-believing Christians prefer it. What's the point of saying you're a Bible-believing Christian if you don't want to hear what the Bible says and you allow yourself to be taught falsely regarding God, Christ, the gospel, salvation, and and all kinds of other things. Now, we are now up to contestant number four in this year's Worst Easter Sermon of the Year contest, and, and I've made the executive decision that although, wow, um, yeah, you, you all said some really awful sermons to review this year, we're going to just keep it at one per day. That's right. One today, one tomorrow, and maybe I don't know. I I, I don't I don't really vote on these things. Uh, I'm always kind of amazed to see who y'all choose each year to see who's the worst Easter sermon of the year preacher. Um, I think I've saved the worst until tomorrow, 
But uh, yeah, today is still a stinker, and uh, yeah, it's going to be stinky uh, for its own particular reasons. And so, uh, <clears throat> just wanted to let you know that. So I, you know, um, <laughs> for my own personal sanity, I think we should just jump right into it, and uh, I'll announce who yeah, sermon uh, number four, contestant number four, is as we get into it. So let's do this. Hey, oh! The good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service today's sir, sir, Easter sermon. Contestant number four in the 2019 Worst Easter Sermon of the Year contest is um, Carrick Thomas of the Journey Church in New York City. And his Easter sermon titled Relationship Rescue. Yeah, I know. <laughs> what does that have to do with Easter? I, well, um, he's going to try to make some connections, you know, between dying relationships and the resurrection of Jesus. And it's just jaw-droppingly, horrifically bad is the best way I can describe it. So let me... Uh, Back off on the music, and without any further ado, here's Carrick Thomas and uh, contestant number four, <clears throat> Relationship Rescue, contestant number four in the worst Easter sermon of the year contest. Here we go. Well, happy Easter, and welcome once again to the journey. I'm Carrick. Now, notice he said, Happy Easter. That's proof <laughs> that this sermon is is supposedly delivered on Easter. I'm just saying. And I'm glad you're here. We're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ today. And you may be wondering what I'm doing holding a life preserver. Well, as we begin today, I have a little confession to make. And to be honest, it's a little bit embarrassing. And it's this. I sink like a rock in water. It's Wow. Yeah, okay. You think that's what you need to lead off with, you know, on Easter Sunday. Okay. It's true. I, I, I do. And it's not that I don't know how to swim. I know how to swim. It's just it takes me so much effort to keep my head above water that after a few minutes, I'm out of strength and I'm going to go under the water. And uh, this is something that my wife, Lori, discovered early on in our marriage. See, this, this year on May 29th, we're going to celebrate 20 years of marriage. And that's, yeah, thank you. That, I'm, really, I'm really excited about that. But on our honeymoon, we went snorkeling. And I'll never forget, the boat took us out. We jumped out in the ocean, and everyone was having a great time. Little kids were having a great time. The elderly were having a great time. Everybody was having a great time, except for me. And it's because I sat so low in the water that the water kept lapping over my snorkel. And I, I was just taking in salt water. And I was really struggling. And the guys on the boat, they saw this. And they're like, hey, man, do you need a life jacket? And I looked over and there's a little three-year-old girl. She's doing fine. And so I, I don't want my new bride to think that I'm a wuss. And so I'm like, no, <laughs> I'm fine. And so I didn't take it, but I'm struggling. Now, my wife, Lori, not wanting to become a widow so early in our marriage. And I love this about her. She swam over to the boat and said, hey, I would like a life jacket. And can I get one for my husband? And she swam over and she's like, hey, dummy, take this. And... Um, uh, and I love that about her because so that I wouldn't be the only one wearing a life vest. She wore one as well. Now, um, 
here's the thing. We've had the discussion and I've said, you know, listen, if we're ever on a boat that sinks, you save yourself, you save the kids, but you just got to let me go because I'm, I'm going to go under. It's going to be like that movie, the Titanic, Celine Dion singing, your heart must go on. You're just going to have to let me go because I'm going to sink. Now, here, here, listen, here's what I know. And this is, this is why this new teaching series, I think, resonates, Relationship Rescue resonates so much with me. Because I know this, if I am, uh, if I am alone in deep water without a life preserver, if I find myself in that situation, I cannot rescue myself. I cannot save myself. I need help. I need someone else to rescue me. And listen, I think that maybe that's where some of you are today. You need to be rescued because right now you feel like you're sinking. You feel like you're drowning. You walked in here today. It's Easter Sunday, but you're running out of hope. I feel like I'm sinking and I'm drowning. Yeah, that's what I feel like listening to these awful Easter sermons. Um, Okay. Um, Just please explain to me what you know, feeling like you're sinking in a relationship has to do with the death and resurrection of Christ. You're drowning in loneliness. You're drowning in a dating relationship. You're drowning in your marriage. You're drowning in your relationship with your parents. Maybe you're drowning because of the person sitting next to you right now. Don't look at them. That would be awkward. All right. But to be honest, for some of you, for some of you, maybe it's your relationship with God that needs rescuing. Look, maybe you walked into church today running low on hope. Now listen, today is Easter, and Easter is about hope. On that first Easter morning, a handful of women approached Jesus' tomb, and uh, they were bringing spices and perfumes. They, they were, they were going to put those on Jesus' dead body. And let me tell you, if there was anyone running low on hope, it was them. Just a few days before, they had seen the man that they thought was the Son of God, the Messiah, the one that brought them hope. They had seen him brutally beaten, executed on a cross, and then buried. Their hope was gone. They were running on empty. They were scared. They were drowning. R- running on empty. Dr- drowning. <clears throat> that it just feels a little forced to me, you know, I, I'm just saying. But that morning, when they saw that the tomb was empty and they saw that Jesus was alive... God replaced their fear with hope. He replaced their sadness with joy. He replaced their weakness with God's power. And that's what I want you to see today. That no matter what you're going through in your life right now, Easter brings you hope. If you haven't yet, I want you to... What kind of hope? Hope that a dying relationship will rise from the grave? Or or the hope that I will rise from the grave and have eternal life because Christ has bled and died for my sins and rose from the grave bodily. Yeah, you, you know, something like that. Is that what you're talking about? You know, or it's just hope in general that dead things are going to come to life. If you haven't yet, I want you to look inside of your program and find your message notes. They look like this. They're inside of every program. Pull out, go ahead and pull out your message notes and, and then grab your pen as well because I think there's some notes that you may want to take today. And for those of you who, who are new to the journey, uh, we use notes each week to, to help you follow along with the message and to write down any, any ideas or thoughts that you might have. And then sometimes as we go through the message, we'll read key verses out loud together. And I want to do that with our first verse It's about Easter. It's Romans chapter 6, verse 4. And let's read this out loud with 
Romans 6, verse 4. Okay, well, Romans 6 has to do with Christ, well, us being buried and raised with Christ in our baptisms. Hang on a second here, Romans 6. All right, let's take a look at uh, Romans 6. We're going to apply our three rules for sound biblical exegesis. You know, I just feel like I'm drowning here. Uh, so I need, I need a life preserver, you know, like the Word of God. <clears throat> See what I did there? Anyway, Romans 6, uh, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? No, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ, we were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Yeah, for if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that, ju- uh, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, and we have, uh, then uh, then we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So th- this is talking about the implications of the resurrection and the fact that we who are baptized penitent believers in Jesus Christ have been united with him in his death and his resurrection, and this has a reality uh, regarding our standing with sin. We are no longer slaves of sin because we've died, yeah, and we've risen. Yeah, you see, yeah, there's, there's, and that's kind of the reality of the now and the not yet of the uh, of the world that we find ourselves in after we've been regenerated, but. Why do I feel like that's really not what we're going to be hearing from Carrick? Okay, we continue. It's about Easter. It's Romans chapter 6, verse 4. And let's read this out loud with a lot of Easter enthusiasm. Are you ready? Go. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. See, I... Okay, um... What does that have to do with relationship rescues? I think this is one of the reasons why Easter is such a big deal. That that God's power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that he gives us today to live new lives, to live better lives than we're living. And that means, and don't miss this, Jesus' resurrection gives hope for every area of your life. Um. What do you mean by that? As we're going to see in this series, Jesus' resurrection also means that that God has the power to rescue the most important relationships in your life. (laughs) Yeah, see. (sighs) Yeah, um, um, Jesus' resurrection has nothing to do with God rescuing relationships in your life. How are you seeing that in Romans 6? It means that there's no marriage, no dating relationship, no family relationship that's beyond God's rescue. Um, That's not a valid implication 
of the resurrection of Christ. How, how are you figuring that? And that's why we're kicking off this new teaching series, Relationship Rescue, on Easter Sunday. Not because all of your relationships are drowning right now. I hope they're not. I hope you don't have all of your relationships that are in, in, in danger. No, but because all relationships have problems. Yeah, relationships are, have their challenges and stuff, but <laughs> this is weird logic. I am just befuddled by what I'm hearing. And listen, if, if your most important relationships are going to be everything that God created them or wants them to be, you need God's wisdom. You need God's help. And that's why I, I think you're going to want to keep your notes from today after the service. And over the next few weeks, you'll want to keep those notes with you. And even if you don't think that you need them now, trust me, you will in the future. Because that's why I believe that God brought you here today. Because the best way to avoid a future relationship rescue is to get these principles instilled in you right now. So over the next few weeks, we're going to look at biblical solutions for some of life's most vexing relationship problems. And you've got this card in, in, in your program, but we're going to look at dating dilemmas. Because here's the truth. Dating dilemmas because of the resurrection. The truth. Dating in New York City is not easy. It's stressful. And we're going to look at how we can experience God's best in our dating relationships. Then we're going to look at marriage maintenance. Um, what on earth does this have to do with the resurrection of Christ? Because listen, no matter how good your marriage is, all of our marriages could get better. They could use some work. And by the way, on the marriage Sunday, we're going to have a time in the service where we do a vow renewal for every married couple who wants to participate, where you can renew your wedding vows from the the day you were married. That's going to be really powerful. I hope that you'll make plans to be a part of that. Then on Mother's Day, on May 12th, we're going to look at family friction. Look, all families have issues. All families are a little bit dysfunctional. And we're going to look at how to deal with that. Then on Mother's Day, we're also going to have professional photographers at our services for free family portraits, free portraits for couples, or if you're a struggling actor, a free headshot. You know, we'll, we'll do that on Mother's Day. And then, listen, we're also not going to avoid the tough issues. We're going to do a message on dealing with divorce, whether it's your divorce or whether it was the divorce of your parents and you're still dealing with some of the hurt from that. It's going to be a powerful series. And our key verse for this series is our memory verse for today. You see it there in your notes. It's Psalm 144, verse 7. And this is a prayer of desperation. This is a prayer of of asking for help. And maybe you've prayed a prayer very similar to this at some point in your life. I want us to read this one out loud together as well, beginning with reach down. Are you ready? Go. Reach down from heaven and rescue me. Deliver me from deep waters. You know, from time to time, all of us. You, you do know that God the Father, um, you can say, rescued Christ from the deep waters of the grave. He, he was dead and he rose again and stuff for real. Find ourselves in the deep waters of relationship difficulties. Look, maybe you've prayed a, a prayer similar to this before. God Reach down and rescue me from this relationship pain. God, would you reach down and and restore this marriage? 
God, would you reach down and do something about this confusion I'm dealing with? God, reach down and rescue me from this loneliness that I'm feeling. So today, I want to do this. I want to set a solid foundation that we're going to be able to build off of over the next four weeks. And to do that, I want to go back as far as we possibly can, go back to the very beginning to talk about, to find the truth about our relationships. And so we're going to go back to the first book of the Bible, to the book of Genesis, to the very first relationship. You do know that Christ's death on the cross reconciles us to God, right? That was the relationship that was destroyed because of our sin. You do know that, right? And in doing so, I think we're going to find some insight into the relationship problems that still plague us in the 21st century. In fact, if you look at the next verse in your outline, this is from the creation story. God had just created the first human, a a man named Adam. And and by the way, humanity was God's highest creation. God made men and women in his own image. And we have the the ability to, to hope and to love and to dream and to reason. Yet as great as the first human was, there was a problem. And he was lonely. Genesis 2, 18, it says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. Now hold your finger here before you flip. Here we find a key principle about relationships. And that is that God created you and he created me for relationships. We're okay. created to, to need friendship and fellowship and companionship. You are aware that, uh, that sin, you know, because, you know, that same guy, Adam, sinned. Um, all of our relationships have been negatively impacted because of sin and that Jesus's death on the cross and the forgiveness of sins, you know, that, that can be a vital thing in helping us because we've been forgiven. We can forgive that, you know, that, that might help our relationships. And the fact that Jesus rose bodily from the grave shows that we have been reconciled to God, you, you know, things like, like that. With other people. And as we're going to see during, during this series, it may or may not be God's will for you to be married right now. But it is always God's will for you to be in godly, healthy relationships. Otherwise, you're always going to struggle with loneliness. But here's the big truth I've learned about relationships. Relationships can be hard. But relationships are always messy. And that's why we need God's guidance. And so open your notes to the inside. And I want us to look today at how we can experience relationship success. I want to look um, The Bible tells us how to experience re- relationship success. What does this have to do with the resurrection? Are we done with the resurrection of Jesus now? Look at three godly decisions that, that you and I can make to experience relationship success in, in our lives. Um, that, that's there. And, and, and then in your notes, you're going to see that first decision. By the way, as you're flipping it over, how many of you want success in your relationships? How many of you want success? That, that's most of you. Uh, the rest of you, you probably lie about other things as well. Um, <laughs> we want success, right? We want our relationships to be successful. So let's look at this. Uh, three decisions to experience relationship success. Here's number one, write, write it in. I expect problems in my relationships. Write that in. I expect problems in my relationships. 
Okay, admittedly, this is, this is starting with the negatives. But, but let's be realistic. We're never going to have successful relationships without realistic expectations. Because there's so many of us who've bought into to what I call the myth of perfection. And the myth of perfection is an unrealistic expectation that, that if the relationship is the right one, it won't have any problems. That if a relationship is the right one, there's not going to be any conflict here. If it's the right relationship, it's going to be perfect. But the fact is, the opposite is true. All relationships have problems. And the great relationships aren't those without problems. The great relationships are those who've learned how to work through the problems. And they've learned how to grow through the difficulties that that they face. And that's why this myth of perfection is so dangerous. Because when you have it, the first time a problem comes along in your dating relationship or in your marriage or, or, or whatever it is, you begin to think that there's something wrong. And you begin to think, I must be in the wrong relationship. I must be with the wrong person. So I need to bail. I need to get out of this. Because if I were with the right person, things would be different. If I were with the right person, things would be easy. If I were with the right person, it would be perfect. Who really thinks that way regarding relationships? And again, what does this have to do with the bodily resurrection of Christ? Listen, if you're waiting for perfection, stop it. It doesn't exist. Because if somehow you did find the perfect person, you would just ruin it. You would be the one that that would mess it up. You know, the truth is, when two very different people who aren't perfect get into a relationship together, there will always be conflict. There will always be disagreement. You won't agree on everything. So understand, there is no such thing as a perfect relationship. Not even with Adam and Eve. And by the way, Adam and Eve, they had everything going for them. They, they lived in utopia, the perfect Garden of Eden. They didn't experience these external pressures and all the difficulties that we have to face in our relationships, yet they still had problems. And I, th- I think this is important because... Yeah, their problems uh, were the result of them giving in and uh, to the temptation of the devil which plunged all of us into sin and the curse that we find ourselves in. And there's a reason why we die and why all of our relationships are screwed up. Don't you think that the death and resurrection of Christ might have something to do? Because I hear people say all the time, well, you know, if I didn't live in New York City, dating would be so much easier. Or if I didn't have such a high-pressure career... My my marriage would be so much better. But I want you to understand location and career aren't the root of the issue. The problem isn't that you live in an imperfect place. The problem is, is that there are two imperfect people. And and by imperfect, you mean sinful, right? Look at the problems uh, Adam and Eve had. And it's a longer passage. This is from Genesis chapter 3. But follow along in your notes as, as we go through this story. It says that they're in the Garden of Eden, and it says, One day the serpent, and the serpent here is is Satan, it's the devil. And it says, One day the serpent asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? So we're returning to the scene of the crime, which is because of what happened here, that Jesus himself had to come and die on the cross for our sins. Well, of course we may eat. Fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It is only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. 
Now, I want you to notice this, this subtle lie that Satan throws at Eve here, at, at, at the first woman. He says, and it's the same lie he throws at us. He says, man, is it true that God doesn't want you to have any fun? Is it true that God is not... Yeah, that, that's not the lie. ...not providing for you at all? Is it true that God doesn't really care for you? It's all this. He says you can't have any of it. And so that's the first lie he throws at us, especially when it comes to our relationships. Is it true that God... That's not the lie that the devil told Adam and Eve. You're changing the biblical text. God just takes all the fun out. He doesn't understand anything. Well, he says, no, that's not, that's not what he said. He said there's just... Right, that's actually not what God said at all, nor is that even recorded in Genesis 3. It's your retelling of the story is far from accurate. One thing that we should, we, we should avoid. Then it, then it continues, going back to the story, verse 4. This is the second line. So, so Eve says, uh, we can't touch that one fruit. Then verse 4, Satan says, you won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. Now hold your finger here. That's the second lie. He says, not listening to God, turning your back on God, that won't hurt you. That's what everybody else does. Everybody else is doing it. You don't have to follow God here. Just, just do what you want to do. You're going to be okay. That's the second lie. Then verse 6. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful. Its fruit looked delicious. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. I want you to notice here that this is the moment when, when they turn their backs on God, and this is where the problems began. Now, from this passage, you're going to see that there are two clear sources of relationship problems. And more than relationship problems. And both of them, if you're not careful, will destroy God's best for your most important relationships. <clears throat> yeah, none of us even comes close to God's best for relationships because we're all born sinners. The, the first source of problems are external sources. This is represented in our story by the serpent, who is, who is Satan. <laughs> so now we're allegorizing the fall into sin uh, about the, the, the forces that could cause your relationships to head south. You know, external forces. Oh. The serpent represents the various external pressures that you have on your relationships. External pressures like temptation or pornography, or the, the tremendous external pressure to, to conform to societal norms when it comes to premarital sex, or having an extramarital affair, or even getting divorced. <laughs> this is just utterly painful. I mean, he literally is addressing the text that explains why we need to have a crucified and risen Savior come to rescue us, and he's just as allegorizing it into something that it's talking about. It's a parable, apparently, about the forces at work to screw up your relationships to keep you from having, you know, God's best in your relationships. This is this is ridiculous. All of these external pressures. They, they come in on you and they create problems. Because listen, all of these external pressures, they're designed for one purpose. And that purpose is to remove God from the center of your relationships. <laughs> Have you ever thought that because of our fall into sin, none of us has God at the center of any of our relationships? Yeah, that, that, that is the 
implications and the impact that sin has had on us as a human race. Oh, this is just... Anyway, I'm going to... Before I explode, I I really think I could end up exploding here, and I don't really want to do that while (laughs) on the air. I'm going to take a quick breather, see if I can recharge here and reset for a second. So uh, if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Christian. When we come back, the balance of contestant number four in uh, the 2019 Worst Easter Sermon of the Year contest, Derek Thomas. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough of this sissy, pansy, cannon photo written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. Holiday's Birdcage Theatre presents Church Day Select. I don't know why we have to come to these small group sessions. They're just so boring. Hey, do you find that small groups just aren't that interesting or fun anymore? That's quite literally what I just said. Then we have the product just for you. New from Los Lobos Ministries is Beth Moore's Biblical Mad Libs. Well, what is it? Simple. Beth Moore's Biblical Mad Libs are an entire booklet loaded with fill-in-the-blank Bible passages. Aren't we supposed to read the scriptures the way they were originally written? None of you want to spice up your small group Bible studies. With Beth Moore's Biblical Mad Libs, you can make every passage be about you. Isn't scripture about Jesus? Only if you want it to be. In our postmodern age, it's stupid to think that such a thing as absolute truth actually exists. Every passage is open to interpretation. Read the example. But now that you have been set free from financial debt and have become warriors of God, the fruit you get leads to better sex and eternal life. For the wages of sin are smelly diapers, but the free gift of God is a really good tax return in Jesus Christ our Lord. That was absolutely heretical. Why would anyone butcher scripture like this? Because modern-day Christians like you don't endure sound doctrine. By popular demand, you've appointed leaders in the church who've given your itching ears what they want to hear and haven't looked back since. Ha! Suckers! This is just... 
horrible. If you thought it couldn't get any worse, then you're just as foolish as Naval. We've already expanded the biblical Mad Lib franchise to include alternate Bible translations. That can't be good. You're right! It isn't! We now have biblical Mad Libs in The Voice, the NIV, the KJV, the NKJV, and, for a limited time only, we have the Furtick Audaciously Revised Translation. Wait... Doesn't that last one spell? Yes, it does spell fun. Not just fun for you, but for the entire small group. We've even created a Biblical Mad Libs Junior Edition to get the kids twisting scripture from a young age. I would never buy this for my children. Lucky for you, you don't have to. We're handing out free copies to every youth group in the nation. Plus, we're also including a special copy of Elevation Church's The Code Coloring Book for a little extra heretical flavor. You're not going to get away with this. You can't stop us. We're already in control. Resistance is futile. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. Hey, everyone. It's Rex here to tell you about a product that I use on a daily basis. It's Coffee by Gillespie. It's delicious. It's got the caffeine you need to be a functioning member of society, and it's It's coffee. There's all sorts of different blends to choose from that are themed alongside the church calendar. So not only does it taste insanely good, but it's also liturgical. Somehow. All you have to do is order it online at gillespie.coffee. And it'll arrive at your door in a convenient, resealable bag filled with either whole bean or pre-ground coffee. I personally like mine as whole bean because it goes so well with milk. Now that's what I call a balanced breakfast. So head on over to Gillespie.coffee and get some. That's G-I-L-L-E-S-P-I-E dot coffee. Rex out! Tried recharging my batteries. Let's see if I can get this out. Warning: Listening to "Fighting for the Faith" could cause you to think that the story of the fall into sin in Genesis three is not an allegory about your relationship problems. Just a reminder: Fighting for the Faith 
This is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, financial contributions, in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. And you can partner with us. It is a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our three friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. The other says become a patron. When you join our crew, you get to pick your rank, and our crew rank is based upon your monthly commitment. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's made at $24.95 a month. From there, Master Gunner, $49.95 a month, and then Quartermaster, $99.95 a month. Joining our crew is a great way to support us. Of course, if you'd like to uh, specify the amount you would like to contribute, you can click on the Donate button. If you'd like to become a patron on Patreon, click on the Become a Patron button. If you would like to support us the traditional analog way, you can do that by making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right. Hang on a second here. i got to gird up my loins. So um, we're going to head back into. Sermon number four in the 2019 Worst Easter Sermon of the Year contest. Here again is Carrick Thomas in his Easter sermon titled Relationship Rescue. Here we go again. That's their design. And just like the serpent in the Garden of Eden, all external forces, they promise more than they can deliver. For instance, porn promises pleasure without hurting anyone. Only the problem is... It's incredibly addictive. It takes over lives. And and it also reduces the enjoyment of real sex in your life. You know, moving in together before we get married, it promises greater intimacy. Everyone does it now. But what they don't tell you is the ton of research that's coming up that show that couples that live together before they get married have a much higher rate of divorce than those who don't. But also notice this. You you do know that you're describing... Sin. You're talking about actual sins that human beings commit here. You, you know that, right? right? In addition to external pressure, there is also the internal source of problems that's found within Adam and Eve as people. Because the truth is, most relationships aren't torpedoed by external forces. Some are, but most of them aren't. Most problems caused, are caused by the people themselves who are in the relationship. Because they're sinners. That's why we need a crucified, risen Savior, you know? Most of the problems, it's my stubbornness. It's my selfishness. It's my sin. It's my pride. It's my... Yeah, there we go. Sin. My, my insecurity. It's, it's my anger that's causing most of the problems. It's not an external force. It's coming from within. And listen to in... Right. Because we have a sinful nature. Right. Romantic relationships, we often don't see the problems coming. And the reason is, is because when we're dating someone, we put on a mask, don't we? We put on a mask, we put our best foot forward. And and what we do is we get the other person to fall in love with a fake image of ourselves. We sort of hide all the garbage. And then we get married and ta-da, here's the real me. That's That's sort of how it works. You get the real person then. But here's the point. No relationship will ever be perfect because none of us is perfect. The Apostle Paul talks about this in Romans 3.23. Okay, not a bad place to go. He writes, for everyone has sinned. Who has sinned? Right, everyone. Everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Right. 
everyone has sinned. Circle that word, everyone. You, me, everyone. We've all sinned. We've all messed up. So, so for everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Now stay here for just a moment. Let me give you an analogy that, that might be helpful, especially for those of you who've, um, who've never been to the journey before. Because I say this about our church all the time, that, that as a church, the journey, we're not a congregation of saints. We're a hospital for sinners. And if you're perfect, please don't come here because you're going to ruin it for the rest of us, right? So listen, the, the same is true when it comes to our relationships. None of us is perfect. And listen, if you think that you are perfect, you are going to ruin your most important relationships. And that's why, that's why our second decision to experiencing relationship success is so important. So look across the page in your notes. We said relationship success, number one, expect problems. But then number two, across the page, write this in. I accept responsibility for my relationship problems. I accept responsibility. How about I confess my sin? Responsibility for my relationship problems. See, when, when problems come into your relationships, and, and listen, they will come, the natural and the easy response is to put the blame on the other person. You know, it's, it's, it's your fault. But here's where we have to be honest, and, and we have to own up to the fact that many problems are our own fault. We have to take responsibility. Now, let me be clear. I, I said this earlier. There are external forces that, that weigh heavily on our relationships. But at the end of the day... That's all that external forces are. They're, they're external pressures. You don't have to give in to them. You can choose to say no to whatever pressure is bearing in on you. I remember a few years ago talking to a guy in our church. He had cheated on his wife. He had had an affair. He had gotten caught. And I'm having this conversation. He's saying, Carrie, you don't understand the pressure that I was under. You don't understand how badly our marriage was going. It was almost like she pushed me into it. You know, I almost had to have an affair. Yeah, that's blaming somebody else. You know, Adam blamed Eve. <laughs> he did. Actually, Adam blamed God. <laughs> uh huh. And then blamed Eve. Yeah, yeah, uh huh. I'm like, no, no, no. You don't have to have an affair. You never have to do anything. No one forces you to do that. You you do have to pay your taxes. I'm saying. You know, you you make your own choices there. If you go back to our story in Genesis. Adam and Eve had disobeyed God. They ate the forbidden fruit. And God finds out. And I want you, what I want you to notice as we go back to the story, I want you to notice how Adam and Eve are so like you and me. They're so like us because no one wants to take responsibility. Going back to our story, Genesis 3, beginning in verse 12. So God has found out. He, he comes to Adam and Eve and says, what's happened? And uh, look at verse 12. It says, the man replied... It was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit and I ate it. What a real man, right? I mean, you want you want to be with that. He takes his wife, throws her under the bus, and won't take any responsibility whatsoever. He, he threw God under the bus. He, yeah, he said, the woman you gave me. This is your fault, God. Yeah, a real man. So he says, it was, it was God, it was your fault. You gave her to me and she missed me. Right, and I'm glad he picked up on that. So he blames her. Then it says, verse 13, Then the Lord God asked the woman, What have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. Adam blamed the woman. The woman blamed the snake. And as the old joke goes, the snake didn't have a leg to stand on. You get it? You know, no legs. Never mind. Okay. So 
Look, when relationship problems come into our lives, you're still allegorizing this to make it about our relationship problems. This is giving a historical account of humanity's real fall into sin, and you're allegorizing it about external pressures and uh, taking responsibility when our relationships are having challenges. Wow. It's so easy to start pointing the finger at the other person and say, this isn't my fault, this is your fault. You're the problem here. That's our natural instinct, our natural response. But let me say, before you immediately blame the other person, pause for a moment and ask yourself the hard question, what's my responsibility here? What's my part of the problem? Or here's a good question. How does God want me to respond? God, how do you want me to respond to this? God, how do you want to grow my character through this problem we're facing right now? Can we... Stop skipping a step here. You know, when you do something like that, uh, Scripture teaches us we need to repent, confess our sin to God, and to be forgiven by the shed blood of Christ. You're skipping right to the, you know, how, you know, learning from our sin and the, the wrongs that we've done and our major failures can be used as a lesson for us moving forward, but you've skipped over the whole point about, you know, confessing, repenting, being forgiven, you know, stuff like that. Because listen, one of the ways that God uses relationships, especially the relationships that are struggling a little bit right now, is to grow our character. God uses relationships to grow our character. And that's why I think so often opposites attract. That's, that's why the person who, uh, who always, uh, who's always late falls in love with the person who, if they're not 10 minutes early, they are late in their fights. That's why the person who's the neat freak falls in love with the person who uses the floor, the floor is their personal closet, right? Because opposites attract and God uses that to grow our character. You see, relationships are part of God's character development process and part of spiritual maturity. So in other words, um, my wife, who is really neat, the reason why God uh, put her with me was to build her character, because I'm not neat. <sighs> really? Maturity. Growing up as, as a Christian is being able to work through relationship problems. 1 Corinthians 13, 11, uh, Again, the Apostle Paul here is talking about spiritual maturity, growing up. This, in fact, let's read this one together, beginning with when I. Are you ready? Go. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when Yeah, we're really learning nothing about Christ, him crucified, risen bodily from the grave on the third day. You know, Easter Sunday, yeah, no, we're not learning nothing. When I grew up, I put away childish things. Now hold your finger here for a moment. Paul is saying, when you're a kid, it's okay to be childish. But at some point, you've got to grow up. At some point, spiritually speaking, in your relationships, you have to grow up. And a sign of spiritual maturity is when you stop always blaming the other person and you say, okay, what can I do? What's my responsibility? Here's what I'm saying. Most relationships, most relationship problems are not caused by one person. It's very rarely just one person's fault. And so when problems come into your relationships, don't look for the easy way out. Instead of looking out the window and saying it's their fault, look in the mirror And ask, God, what is my responsibility here? Do your part to make the relationship work. And then you recommit your relationship to God. And that leads us to the next decision 
to experience relationship success. It's there on the back of your notes. So he said, how do I, biblical biblical decisions to experience relationship success. One, I recognize all relationships have problems. Two, I grow up spiritually and I'm willing to take responsibility for my part. And then number three, on the back of your notes, I invite God to be the center of my relationships. I invite God to be the center of my relationships. In a uh, recent Pew Research study on love and marriage, they interviewed hundreds of married couples and they asked, you know, what does it take to have a successful marriage? And there were all kinds of, of answers from, you know, having shared interest, having a good sex life, sharing the, the household chores. They had a lot of answers like that. But what stood out to me most in this study was the complete absence of God or church or prayer and any of the things they were looking at for a successful marriage. As I thought about that, I thought to myself, no wonder the divorce rate in our country is so high. No wonder marital satisfaction is so low because we've removed God completely from the equation. I think one of the big lessons from Genesis 3 is whenever we push God out of our relationships, it always leads to problems. <laughs> Genesis 3 is the account of mankind's fall into sin. It's just, <laughs> he's reduced it down to us pushing God out of our relationships. I, you know, <sighs> I am losing my mind. When you, when you decide that, that God isn't going to be the center of your relationships, you're going to struggle to find success. No. You know, Adam and Eve, they, they turned their backs on God. And listen, the consequences were devastating. They were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. And then, and then, and then more personally, without God at the center of their relationships, uh, instead of cooperating and complementing one another, they began competing with one another and trying to control each other. Yeah, that's one of the, the impacts of the fall into sin. Yeah, it's, it's there in the list re- regarding God's punishment uh, you know, to Eve. I want you to think about that. That transition from cooperating and complementing to competing and controlling. That's the same thing that we see happen in all of our relationships today. That's why I think the big lesson from Adam and Eve here is that it's so important that we keep God at the center of our relationships. All right, do your best to try. You're not going to succeed there. Listen, that's a choice that you've got to make. No one can make that choice for you. The choice to invite God to be the center of your most important relationships, to give Jesus control of your relationships. 2 Corinthians 5.14 says this. It says, Christ's love controls us. Whose love? Christ's love. Underline that phrase. Christ's love controls us. By the way, it's not your boyfriend's love. It's not your girlfriend's love. It's not your spouse's love. It's not your parents' love. It's not another person's love or your love for them that should control you or the relationship. It's Christ's love controls us. Yeah, notice the the, uh, macaroni string of pearls uh, you know, macaroni necklace, uh, you know, technique here where he's just taking a whole bunch of verses out of context and 
stringing them together the way he is. They continue, since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. That means that Jesus' love should be in control of you. It should be in control of the other person. It should be in control of your relationships. But here's the thing. We like to be in control, don't we? We like to control others. We like to have everything our way all the time. But the truth is, you weren't created to be in control. That's God's job. But when we remove God, we try to take God's position. We try to be God in our relationships and we try to control it. Do you know what happens? We mess everything up. So when you wrestle for control in in your relationship, and by the way, we all do this. All of us want to be in control. We wrestle for control. When we do this, it leads to fight. It leads to stress. It leads to anger. It leads to sin. It leads to brokenness. And there's some of you right now, you're learning this the hard way. You're learning it the hard way. Some of you have this idea in your mind that in order for me to be happy, she's got to change. In order for me to be happy, he's got to change. Because I'm only going to be happy if... Let me give you the the short ending to your story. You're never going to be happy. It's not going to happen. You're just making yourself and the other person miserable by, by trying to control them and trying to make them into the person that you think that they should be. Look, you're never going to be able to change another person. But you can change yourself. So stop trying to control them and instead ask God to be in control. Say, God, you be in control of this relationship. Just what you got to do, if you really want to do, all you got to do is ask God to be in control. And then, you know, this is the Jesus take the wheel prayer, apparently. It's Jesus take the wheel of my relationship. You be in control, God, and then blammo, your relationships are, you know, you're, you're going to be right on the path to having amazing relationships. Uh, I've messed it up. You be in control of the other person. I can't change them. And God, you be in control of me too. And so maybe that's the best step that you can take today for your dating relationship or your marriage or for a future dating relationship that you hope happens. Or maybe it's a family relationship that's struggling. Would you surrender control to Jesus? Would you do that today? Would you be willing to? Surrender. Good luck on that. Where does it say that if you surrender your control of your relationships to Jesus, where does it say this in the scripture that, you know, you're going to start experiencing relationship success? What did you do with our crucified and risen savior, Carrick? To trust Jesus with that other person. See, here's where the real rescue operation begins. This is where a successful relationship starts. Because if you want to have the best marriage possible, then Jesus needs to be at the center of that marriage. If you want to have the best dating relationship possible, then Jesus needs to be at the center of that dating relationship. Have the best relationship with your parents or your roommates or or your kids. You need to ask Jesus to be at the center. And what if you have a pagan roommate? Because it's Jesus who gives you the love and the strength to push through even when your human love has worn out and things get tough. Here's the decision I want to ask you to make today. It's there in your notes. And I want you to write this in and make this commitment. My decision today, God will be the center of my relationships. Uh, oh, this is painful. Would you be willing to say that today? God, you... Are you selling timeshares too? You be the center of my relationships. 
I think that's, that, that's so important, asking him to be in the center. And I said this earlier. If I ever find myself in deep water without a life preserver, I can't rescue myself. I can't save myself. I need help. I need someone to step in and to rescue me. And maybe right now you're like me. Maybe you need to be rescued. Maybe you're, you're trying hard to swim with your own strength in a relationship. Maybe you're here and you're, you're doing everything you can just to keep your head above the, the rough waters of loneliness. And you feel like you're drowning. And you don't know how much longer you can do this on your own. Let me tell you the good news. The good news is that Christ bled and died for our sins, rose again bodily on the third day for our justification. That's the gospel, you know. Uh The good news is you don't have to do it on your own anymore. You don't have to drown. That's not the good news. That Yeah, I don't know what that is, but that's not the good news. Today, God is throwing you a lifeline of hope through his son, Jesus Christ. A lifeline of hope for your relationships. And so fill in that blank and say, God, you be the center of my relationships. But I want you to say more than that. When you write that in, I want you to say, God, you be the center of my relationships. But God, even more than that, I want you to be the center of my life, my entire life. God, Where does it say that you are supposed to make Jesus the center of your life? God, don't just rescue this relationship that's drowning. God, rescue me. Rescue me because I'm drowning. I'm. Yeah, how about I've sinned, Lord? I repent. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. You know, something like that. Sinking. You see, that's the power of Easter. God's power raised Jesus from the dead. And that same power is available to you today to raise your life from the dead, to raise your spirit from the dead. No, raise me for real from the dead. If today you will only place your faith and your hope in Jesus. Yeah, I don't think they know what they're placing their hope in Jesus for exactly because you really haven't preached the gospel with any kind of biblical accuracy or clarity. I want to invite you to do that right now. I want to invite you today to say, God, you be the center of my life by saying yes to Jesus as your Lord and Savior. To say yes to Jesus. That's where does it say to do that in Scripture? Listen, Easter is about what God did to save us. Yes. Jesus died on the cross to rescue us from sin and to save us from, from living meaningless and purposeless lives. Where did you get that second part about purposelessness? And yeah, over the next few weeks, we're going to look at God's rescue plan for your relationships. But for that to be possible, first, you have to open your life. You have to open your heart to Jesus. You have to make things right with God. And it starts... I don't have to make things right with God. Jesus is the one who made things right with God for us. It starts with you. In a moment, I'm going to pray and I'm going to give you a chance to believe in Jesus today. But first, there's one more verse I want you to see. It's a verse that points to the hope of Easter. It's 1 Peter one twenty one, And it says this, Through Christ, you have come to trust in God. And you have placed your faith and hope in God because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. Would you bow your heads with me right now? Done. Wow. Man, that was difficult. 
yeah, I, I think you see why Carrick made the cut this year. And yeah, I'm going to go decompress. Um, and unfortunately, tomorrow's is worse. So just, just saying, although I'm, I'm not trying to throw the, you know, the voting one way or another. I just want to prepare you for what's coming next tomorrow. We'll be talking about Mr. Rogers and, um, um, being a neighbor and stuff. Yeah, I'm not making that up. <clears throat> so uh, what'd you think? Love to get your feedback if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith. You can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at Pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.